What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined, as always, by my trusty co-host, Dave Pusha T, Martin Swagger. Dave, what's going on, man? Yeah, it's almost yeah. dry. <laughs> uh, Dave was able to make it to the Pusha T show this weekend, so we're going to be getting a, a review of that show as well as just hearing how awesome Pusha is live because I just assume he's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be talking some news that came out in this past week that we wanted to touch on, a couple of movies and a couple of albums, including a, a big surprise album. So hit that subscribe button on youtube.com slash nostalgiapod and follow us on any platform, which you can find on our, le- on our link tree on our Twitter page at nostalgiapod. But Dave, we're going to start first with your review of the Pusha T show. Where did you see him? this time yeah so i saw pusha t at big night live in boston it's almost dry tour my third time seeing him i'd seen him at the meadows 2016 and governor's ball 2018 and so this is my first time seeing him on like on tour although when i did see him at governor's ball it was his first show after he had dissed drake with uh the story of adidon and there's a lot of hype going into that set you and of course, he child. did not play Adidon or um, Infrared. Maybe he did play Infrared. I don't remember. But that, that was a lot of fun. This is my first time seeing him on tour. And my first time at Big Night Live in Boston as well, which is one of the newer venues here. And it was uh, really great. You know, I, having already seen him, I knew how, how good he was live. He's very uh, competent rapper, as you can imagine, where in the sense that he doesn't really miss any of his lines. He really just wraps his whole verse live it's 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 great to hear of course because the songs are are awesome and a lot of a lot of great energy at this show just being around people that know all of the pusha verses you know it's Mm -hmm. it's it's a lot of fun hearing that and pusha t you know it's it's kind of uh, methodical i guess the way he performs where he just really just like goes into his songs goes through his songs pretty simple set there's just a few like light boards that uh really do switch up the, the, the lighting, the colors you see. Um, a bit of epileptic seizure, perhaps, if you uh, don't, don't like flashing lights. Definitely a lot, a lot lot going on with those light boards. But really, it's just Pusha T just, you know, growling there up on stage going through his songs. And um, he did damn near all of It's Almost Dry. He did almost all of Daytona as well. The Daytona song has got a, a big uh, response, for sure. Um, really, honestly track two he did brambleton off it's almost dry and that brambleton mm-hmm. that uh that pharrell b is so lively that one uh, i think really got people going but oh, yeah. it, it's it's not a rap crowd that's like super like mosh mosh heavy push a t even though like towards the end they were they were like telling people to open shit up but like i think it's just like kind of like the clientele of people going to see a push a show it's not like you know like kids going to see like uzi or something where it, it was it wasn't rowdy it was yeah. packed. It was sold out for sure, but it wasn't. It wasn't rowdy. It was more people like vibe, vibing, and just like and really enjoying the music, which is which is nice, I guess. You know, you're not not not, not fighting to uh, keep your spot nearly as much, which is nice. But, yeah. What uh, is his like most intense like Mashiest song? I can't even think of one. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing too. And, and like when, when when I was trying to like decide like what well, when am I gonna like take some videos? It's like it's not like there's any like like stand out like moment you would think of it's like oh i gotta get this you know because i know the crowd's gonna react this way it's like 
it, no, it's just like, you know, he's going to play numbers on the boards. It's going to be awesome. People are going to like it. You know, I feel like but the, whatever uh, it is, the song I'd I'd want to record would be like his verse from Runaway if he did it. You know, like get that. Right. But that's not a song that you're going to like mosh and like knock people over to. Correct. So he he does run away. And last time when I saw him, when he did run away. He said the same thing. He's like, I ain't singing. I ain't singing. You guys got to do this because I'm not singing. No way. And then everyone has to sing the Kanye parts, and the, all the phones are definitely out for this. And then he does his verse, and we, you know, keep it moving, honestly. But um, yeah, I mean, like if you think about like the way he did uh the, the set, and you can look up the set list is pretty uh pretty standard for this tour. Uh, he does like two separate encores, but like the encore songs are not even like songs we necessarily like think of Pusha first. It's like Mercy and Move That Dope and Runaway, and I don't like. And uh, also grinding, of course, clips. Uh, then, like the end of the last, um, uh, sorry, the end of the first encore is scrape it off. I wouldn't have guessed that. Then he comes back out for two more songs. He does feel the love, Kitsy Ghost song, mm-hmm. and then he ends with Soul Paul of Dark Horse of Fantasy again. Like not, <laughs> not the Soul Paul push verse. Not what I would have thought of. You know, no, even the. Um... The one-off Kid See Ghosts. I can still feel the love. That's like the only part of that song that I truly remember. The yeah, da 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 da. Like the yeah. Pusha verse, not something I remember off that. So yeah. it's a cool, it's a cool song though. You're live. Honestly, the song that got me most hyped. Like I think Diet Coke was a lot of fun live, just because the beat. Even people really seemed to like Neck and Wrist. Um, people really liked Call My Bluff. I love New God Flow the most. Mm. One of my favorite Pusha songs and. I mean, people love that shit. Uh, Nostalgia as well off, uh, was it Darks for the Dawn? Whatever album that's from. That one was really good. I mean, because Pusha T's solo songs are usually pretty short, there's not like, there's not a lot of like three verse songs or anything. He ended up running up a lot of, a lot of songs in like a 70 minute show. He did like over 25 songs, I think. So even though it wasn't the longest song I've ever seen, he still really kept it going. So a lot of fun. Uh, And yeah, Pusha T, as you can imagine, is, just as good on on stage as he is on the mic who would have thought he's just a uh he's an adult performer you know like he makes yeah. adult songs for adults and it's it's good shit like he's just a, a great artist i'm glad that you're able to see him uh who do you have up next who's uh who's your next live show yeah on, on july 1st i'm seeing joey badass for his first uh show for this new tour he's doing and the new album was supposed to come out this past weekend and uh, is now uh, delayed a little bit due to apparently sample clearances, so he says. So either way, uh, looking forward to that <laughs> Joey show soon. Well, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about Joey and these sample clearances in a little bit. But <laughs> why don't we move forward, sticking with music, to some? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's sad news. Maybe just uh, I don't know something that we're not not thrilled to hear, which is that uh, K-pop super band BTS announced this past week that they're taking a little bit of a break. They're going on a little hiatus. Um, apparently it was a very emotional um, like announcement. I, I didn't yes. watch it, but I think you did. I did, yeah. But the, the group was like having dinner from what I read and like kind of like had this conversation about what this means for them. And uh, the, apparently a couple members got really teary-eyed and choked oh, yeah. up. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. But I guess, first of all, like, is this like the end of BTS in your mind? Uh, no, definitely not the end. And it's kind of been funny to see the way certain outlets have discussed this, you know, uh, 
the translations in the video of that dinner, which was uh, a long video, use the word hiatus. The next thing you know, people are talking about, like, is the group disbanded, blah, 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 right? And like many of the members have since went online to clarify their their feelings and their position and everything. But I mean, the, 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 way, it, the way it started was Sugar just kind of off the cuff, like 40 minutes into this video. It's just like, so should we talk about how we're going to... Uh, not be like together for a little bit or i forget exactly how he said it it just kind of like just kind of ripped into it you know and uh the way they all outlined it in their own ways they all took time to speak about uh solo that they needed and really wanted this uh time apart for their own personal growth and that this is a necessary step for bts to continue long term so they all had a pretty thoughtful view of it uh, in in terms of getting to BTS Chapter Two, as they said, and uh, you know, a lot of, I think K-pop super fans, people that have been through this before, weren't necessarily surprised this news came up. I think the pandemic probably slowed this down from even happening. On the other hand, given how successful they've been, particularly in the West, particularly in the United States, very recently. It is probably coming at an inopportune time for HYB, for their label, for those investors in that label who saw the stock drop tremendously. So the timing, uh, I think, in the overall span of BTS, the group, makes a lot of sense. They formed in 2013. That first album came out in 2014. We first talked about them in 2018. It's a long time ago, you know? Yep. Um, so it sounds like this is, uh, you know, it's a, probably a good call. And it's not like they're going to go away because we're going to hear all kinds of solo music by the sound of it. J-Hope was already announced before this as a headliner at Lollapalooza. He has some solo work out already. I imagine he perhaps is the first person out of the gate with more solo music from here on out. We'll see. But uh, yeah, definitely um, uh, shocking or at least uh, big news for sure that BTS at the at the peak of their powers is uh, taking a group uh, a break from group activities for some time. Yeah, you know when I first started, my my first thought was uh, I I don't know if if the they're gonna be done forever. I mean, I'm sure we'll get them back in some way, but it feels like a hiatus like this at this point in their their run as a group feels like they're not gonna come back and ever be completely the same. Obviously, they're gonna grow. Yeah. Um, they're gonna be making solo work. Who knows if maybe every member will return in some sense. I, I don't know how that will work. I know that there was a lot of uh, <laughs> stock implications to this. <laughs> um, the, uh, the Korean entertainment, whatever their production group, lost a lot of money from this. Is that... Yeah. I mean, do you have those numbers offhand? Uh, I know it went down like 25%, the HYB stock, which is the name of their label. It used to be called Big Hit. And I mean, there, there's a whole kind of separate conversation about like whether a this label that is getting the majority of their money from one group should really be a public thing on stock exchange, whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, that that happened, but I think we'll we'll see the recovery too because, you know, J-Hope and RM and Sugar, their past solo work has been top 40 in the US. Like, we're going to see success from these guys on the solo stage, I have no doubt. And yeah, is it going to be BTS level success? Unlikely, but... On the other hand, like Lisa, her solo shit with Blackpink, those two songs both did numbers and became TikTok smashes. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that these guys can become solo stars as well, because I think they're uh, 
to their fans. I think they they would they would like to see that, and they're all unique enough to warrant that. So now it's just a matter of seeing if that actually happens. But uh, yeah, I mean the label, um, they 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 had to. Um, well, they of course knew this was coming, but yeah, I think the, I think the stock stuff is just kind of a it's a temporary temporary hiccup i mean it's whatever i mean and in the grand scheme of things why don't you run the real numbers that matter which i think is how much money bts printed in the past year performing we obviously know how big their songs have been lately and then their album sales but like they gross like 30 million dollars doing four shows in la at the end of 2021 and then they did another four shows in uh, las vegas this past april and they made another 30 million plus dollars uh that was the biggest tour in April with only four shows. Like, and I think that's another thing. It's like, man, they're, they're, they're like, they have, they have the, the Western audience in the palm of their hand right now. 200,000 tickets sold at four shows. It's crazy, right? Taking a break. So <laughs> it seems like they really, they really need this break. So I'm definitely looking forward to hearing more of the solo music. But uh, as you said, I think they'll definitely come back in a different form. Then they, I mean, they're already uh, uh, several forms away from how they debuted. For anyone who's like hardcore to the band, they, you definitely know that from a Sonic thing. But like, you know, Jin, Jin's twenty nine, Jin's thirty at the end of the year. Uh, he has to go to the, do the, the military service. They already got their extension to, to thirty. So I feel like that's where Jin's headed. But Jung Hook's the youngest one. He's only twenty four. He's definitely not doing the military service anytime soon. He was, you know, out working with Charlie Puth. So, yeah, I don't know. It seems like they're all going to go in all kinds of directions right now. <laughs> Definitely going to be interesting to see what, what comes out of this hiatus. I'm just thinking about that reunion tour in, I don't know, a couple of, like two or three years. That That's going to be insane money, dude. Just insane. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. uh, definitely going to be talking more as we find out what's next for all these BTS boys. Dave, any last thoughts? Or are you ready to move on? Well, uh, I think the other note, too, is BTS was uh, roughly 30% of all K-pop sales and streams in the U.S. in 2021, the biggest share by far. I'm curious to see who fills that void. Obviously, the BTS guy solo will fill that, but we know Blackpink's coming back this year. And then there's lots of other groups of various stature that are targeting the West, like ESPA and TWICE and things like that. So I'm curious to see what else happens, K-pop as a whole. Korean entertainment as a whole is certainly not going to shrink in the West, despite BTS's temporary absence. So something to watch. Absolutely something to watch. And like I said, we'll be talking all about it. Something else we're talking about is Jon Snow. <laughs> I guess, I guess, I guess it's it's just funny because, you know, we haven't even gotten House of Dragon yet. And oh. just this past week, we get it's announced that Kit Harrington is going to be reprising his role as Jon Snow for another one of the Game of Thrones sequel series or uh, spinoff series. Yeah, this is going to be a sequel um, post the ending of Game of Thrones, where you know last time we saw him, he was walking into the the woods there. Uh, yeah, beyond the wall once the, again, the haunted forest with you know like the wildlings and ghosts, and so. You know, I, I don't know. I just have no idea what this is going to be. What, do you have any, any thoughts or theories on, like, what the show could actually look like? Right, so, so I think it's important to know that this is still an early development, and if they were to actually greenlit green light and make this show, Kit Harrington is apparently attached. But there's no guarantee this is actually happening, and certainly not going to happen anytime soon. But 
yeah, I thought the timing was definitely uh, curious given House of the Dragon comes out in August. And I mean, my anticipation for House of the Dragon is super high. It looks awesome and just a great premise, a great idea for the first Game of Thrones spinoff. Obviously, this is a franchise in a world that's so rich that it's not going to go away. And even if it wasn't that rich, War and Discovery would not let it go away because of how uh, successful Game of Thrones was, right? But seeing the Targaryen Civil War that we're going to see soon with the Dance of Dragons, that's very exciting. Great spinoff. I'm looking forward to it. Now, I don't think anyone's naive enough to think that like Game of Thrones getting a sequel was never going to happen. But I don't know, like Kit Harrington was like, you know, he was kind of happy to be done shooting in Northern Ireland for like two thirds of his life every year, you know? Mm-hmm. And it hasn't actually been that long since Game of Thrones ended, especially with the pandemic. Like it ended in 2019. Yeah. And thinking about Kit Harrington's career, it's like he's like barely in Eternals and assume, assumingly will be in Blade. But it's like it's not like he got up to a whole lot, you know, besides yeah. uh, chilling with his wife, Rose Leslie. Right. Like, I don't know. It, it's just kind of curious timing. But I guess, you know, I mean, they're going to develop this because they've been developing like five to ten spinoffs at a time for Game of Thrones anyway. So I guess maybe it's not that out uh, out of the ordinary. But um, it also begs the question that George R. R. Martin is apparently very enthusiastic about this continuation. And we're no closer to getting uh, uh, The Winds of Winter, the latest book in The Song of Ice and Fire, than we were when Game of Thrones ended. So... It's probably another uh, nail in the coffin for book fans here, I guess, because he seems to be very stretched thin. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, is this the, the spinoff that would be your number one? It's not really a spinoff, a sequel. Is this is this your number one desired continuation of Game of Thrones? Because no. to me, I actually would kind of enjoy going in the other direction, seeing some other stuff like um, like the, the Aegon's Conquest or the Doom of Valyria or something. There's just so many other things that are very appealing to me. I mean, heck. George R. R. Martin said he's developing a play, a theater play, to debut next year about the tourney at Harrenhal. And I was like, you know what? That's actually an amazing idea for a play, a Game of Thrones play. So that, and that and that's exciting to me too. But like, yeah. I don't know. I wasn't really like necessarily like looking for like the Game of Thrones sequel. I don't know. How do you feel about it? <laughs> well, I, I think if you heard me start this uh this topic i'm not super thrilled to be with Jon snow again by far one of the least like fun characters to just like hang with in the whole series just moping around for stuff like the last like five or six seasons um it should also be noted that they have i think four other series in development tales of duncan egg ten thousand ships nine voyages and flea bottom and some unnamed animated series so there's a lot of stuff going on here and like I, I guess I also just, I don't know what more there is to, like, be told about Jon Snow's story. Like, is is he just going to come and, like, come for Bran? Does Bran, like, break bad? Is that the thing? Yeah. Like, maybe that would be interesting if, like, Jon Snow has to get the siblings together against Bran, who has all these powers. I mean, I don't know. You have to assume this is an on-ramp to meet other people. Like, oh, what's Sansa up to in Winterfell? Not that far right. from Jon, you know? Oh, Bran down there in King's Landing. You, you gotta, gotta check out Arya, maybe she comes back in season two off on her adventures. You know, there's no way it's just Kit Harrington coming back, right? No way. Um, 
yeah, I mean, unless they're just going to do something totally in the forest beyond the wall, but then it's just like a completely new story, which, yeah, maybe that's intriguing to explore something completely new, but it's just hard to get on board when the main character is someone that we're so familiar with and not yeah. super hyped to be spending more time with. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I, don't know. I, I guess I, I'm just kind of like deferring to like the rich backstory that's already been established by George versus this kind of unknown future that George hasn't established yet. And I have faith in like HBO being able to make a good show. Like no matter how you feel about the end of Game of Thrones, like, I have faith that this w- this is not going to be some disaster or anything. But I, you know, I I, I think I'd be more excited if just more time had passed. I guess. Yeah, and we we had seen more other spinoffs and other things. You know, first, if you had to do a spinoff of one of the one of the siblings or one of the main characters from the show would it have been john like who would you want to see more no i don't think it would have been john Arya? i think Arya is a very obvious yeah. you know her, her traveling around we can see other areas in westeros and southeros you know and see other locales that we haven't actually seen on the screen before like that just has like obvious uh limitless potential it feels like i don't know that the john story has no. as much potential as you as it would seem, unless John is immediately just going back south and getting back into the politics and stuff. Yeah, I would almost even like to see something where, like, maybe Bran has, like, taken a step back and just kind of been, like, a weirdo and, like, Sansa's actually running shit. It's like a political thriller type of thing. Like, maybe that'd be uh, interesting, almost like House of Cards, but Sansa is, like, the... Underwood the best, figure. The best material in Game of Thrones in general is 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 what you just said. So that that would be great. But yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see. Like you said, this is quite a ways off if it actually happens. But I mean, where, where there's smoke, there's fire with this stuff. And uh, I, I mean, like you said, Kit Harrington's not doing a lot of other stuff. So why not go back to the well for him? Uh, yeah, he probably know, we'll realized see. he could. You know, he's like, oh, a few million bucks each episode. That doesn't sound too bad. I can do that again. Doesn't sound bad at all. <laughs> um, well, as we get more news on this, we'll keep you informed. So hit that subscribe button. But let's move forward to something I'm actually really excited to talk about, Dave, which is Cha Cha Real Smooth, the new movie that dropped on Apple Plus this past weekend. From uh, it seems like a very talented. Mm-hmm. Uh, director with this is a second film Cooper Rafe who also stars in the film is Andrew um, also stars Dakota Johnson um, Leslie Mann is in it I wouldn't say she stars in it but she's in it um, mm-hmm. uh, Evan Asante and Vanessa Berghart kind of round out the cast as their young actors in this and uh, man this movie is just a total delight I thought I just had such a good time with this movie. Um, it, it really hit every emotional point I think it was going for. And while I think like maybe certain aspects of it could have been a little bit tighter or a little bit more like thought through for this, you know, like I, I wouldn't even say a rom-com, just like a comedy drama type of thing. I yeah. think it's like coming of age thing. I think it's a really well told story. So I, I really enjoyed Cha-Cha real smooth. What was your response to it? Yeah, I also enjoyed it quite a bit. I actually haven't seen Cooper Rafe's debut film from last year, Shit House, but from what I understand, it's a similar kind of vibe where Rafe's character again is kind of like an earnest, nice guy who's like going through it, and you know how he's interacting with his characters. It definitely feels like uh, Rafe takes a lot of inspiration from like Richard Linklater movies, 
and in general seems to be a talent to watch, to pay attention to. He's now made two critically acclaimed features and he's only 25 years old perhaps is he is he the first like gen z filmmaker of true note uh he's one of one of the first anyway yeah so good good for him regardless um yeah you know it's it's kind of a rom-com but it's like a a romantic coming of age movie Mm -hmm. you know i think for me i liked it a lot for for the performances as well as i think just the overall earnestness uh is just really really nice to be with you know, and ultimately, it's a, it's a very low stakes story, but everything to me was really simpatico. Everything just just made sense and felt believable. And yeah, can you pick out some of these beats and, and guess what's going to happen? Sure, it, it's not the most original thing I've ever seen, but I I was just really entertained and really liked being uh, with, with these characters. And I think Dakota Johnson deserves a lot of plaudits for really elevating the Domino character. Um, not that far off from, I guess, what she did in The Lost Daughter recently, kind of a similar character. But uh, I think her uh, ability to make a character kind of hard to pin down while giving this understated performance just really worked with, I think, the uh, honesty that Rafe seems to imbue in his character. So, yeah, I liked it a lot. I I thought it was really smart that the movie starts off with Andrew as this, you know, 12, 13 year old boy at this bar mitzvah who has this crush on uh, the party person there, the party leader there. Mm -hmm. And it's just totally like devastating to see this little kid like put themselves out there and get rejected and see that response. Like it immediately like sucked me in emotionally to the movie and kind of like it gives you an insight into like the outgoingness and like the bravery of this character because put himself out there as. Uh, as he does throughout the film, I think takes a lot of courage um, and a lot of uh, risk taking. Um, but you also kind of recognize that he's like this sweet person at the center. And I think that sweetness, like you kind of identified when you were summer, summing up your response to it, is really like what drives the movie forward is there's this like gentleness and this real fondness for all the characters and their like traumatic experiences and things that have shaped mm-hmm. them. Um, and I think. I think obviously Domino is the character that is uh, I think most like playing in the sandbox with that sort of thing, like the traumas that shape them and how those things kind of guide the decisions they make and the the choices that they're more inclined to stick with, even if it doesn't always feel as satisfying as other decisions. Um, And maybe we'll get more into the spoileriness of it, but it just all feels like very real. And I really appreciated that, you know, like that, choice between do I go for like this lust or do I go for something more real something that's a little bit more stable um, kind of accepting like the stages of life and what that means a lot of like really interesting ideas raised and um, it all felt very very grounded in reality for me so I really enjoyed that um, what what like themes of the film did you find yourself resonating most with yeah you know I, I think for me again like the, the earnestness that is so like kind of central to the character uh, uh Rafe's character just just really um i think just kind of wins you over you know and the movie does a really nice job with with how all these bar mitzvah bad bad mitzvah scenes they're they're yeah. kind of awesome set pieces you know and like it's not like we're about to see crazy action we're not but they just really like punch up the film uh and and then kind of like 
liven it back up and then we you know we, we just kind of see things unfold you know i think um it sets up these these conversations between the characters where you get like really personal and really just kind of really advancing i guess like the emotional plot in these conversations but like you're bookending it with these like more i think enjoyable easy to follow bar mitzvah scenes where eh, i think it just i think it just all really works out you know and um Leslie Mann, like you said, not in the movie a whole lot, but I think does a plays an important role as this like bipolar mother character, and how that impacts everything. Uh, you know, I think Andrew, the Andrew character is just kind of interesting to me because, like, on one hand, he's like a very unremarkable guy, not exactly like anyone to write home about. He graduated with uh, nothing going on, so it's like, huh, why should I care about this guy who's clearly does not have himself figured out you know and then you kind of watch him figure himself out in a very roundabout fashion yeah no uh, i think um the andrew character is really smartly written and uh i just the way that his character really like learns and grows but like not in like some linear way it's very like herky-jerky up and down throughout the movie is really uh, probably my favorite part of it and I, i think that's demonstrated really well with stepdad greg played by brad garrett <laughs> you know who's kind of this punching bag for andrew and i, I think it makes a lot of sense it's uh you know it's the partner that his mother has come to later on in life uh after a divorce from his his father's biological father um it's not really talked about what happened with um leslie Mann's lisa and the father you see at the beginning but it's kind of i think insinuated that he was like at least mean or potentially like physically abusive towards her so um you know there's i think going to be this like animosity but as andrew starts to figure things out and think about like what he's standing up for what feels right for him the things that he's like fighting for in his life he starts to understand greg more and appreciate the role that he plays for his mother and comes to kind of understand like what it means to maybe not be with somebody who you think is like the coolest person in the world or that you think is like the most amazing person but provides something that you really feel like you need or something that you're looking for something that you've you've wanted to have and so i think like his that like journey he goes on with each character kind of understanding like their needs and how to be there for them and obviously that's kind of demonstrated directly with domino and and lola but you start to see him kind of figure that out with his brother more as the movie goes on. You start to see him figure it out with stepdad Greg and his mom. It's really just like a, it it's, it's it comes full circle so well. It's really smartly written. I feel like. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, I, I think it's cool to see a character who's like so able to people please when he gets kind of like bursts through into this uh, party starter uh, job all of a sudden, mm-hmm. but still finding a way to please himself as well you know it's kind of the, the obvious uh paradigm that you would see in the, in the story but uh, i think it works out and the kid the kid performances yeah. are are good as well you know i think uh the lola uh mm-hmm. just really hits all her notes you know yeah as domino's daughter uh with, with autism and then uh also andrew's uh younger brother uh as well david yeah uh, david same yeah. thing like did they both fit the fit the story just the way they need to yeah and david's friend um rodrigo 
is like <laughs> such good comic relief, like wanting to kick that kid's ass. Uh, right. I feel like that's really great. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if there's much more to say about this movie. I just really loved it. It's on Apple Plus. If you have Apple TV Plus, please check it out. It's yeah. really, really wonderful. And it feels like Cooper Rafe is a person we'll be talking about in this this realm for quite a while. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure about that. And Dakota Johnson as well, seemingly yeah, putting in putting in work lately, which is nice to see f- for sure. Um, Ever since she took down Ellen, she's just catching W's, dude. That's for great. sure. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, this was out of Sundance. Apple bought this for $15 million. I believe that was the biggest sale of Sundance this year. Don't necessarily think they're going to push this the way they pushed Coda last year. I don't know if we're heading to Oscar glory here, but um, yeah, definitely uh, Cooper Ray for someone to watch. Yeah, worthy addition to their catalog. And let's move to Netflix, where I think they also dropped a worthy addition to their catalog this weekend, Spiderhead. Uh, man, I i mean, first of all, we should mention Spiderhead uh, is a movie that I think was somewhat anticipated because you get Joseph Kaczynski, who we just saw his mm-hmm. the biggest film of the year with Top Gun Maverick. Um, so, you know, someone that we are already talking about but then you get miles teller and uh chris hemsworth and uh journey smollett to star in it and you're like you know this this movie is pretty intriguing based on a uh, short story which has gotten a lot of acclaim and a lot of notice so there is all the makings here for this to be good i think the like one drawback i will say is that it does feel a little bit like this was a movie made in covid and and, you know you can kind of tell because it's like a few characters in like a few spaces and it feels pretty like bottled up, but I still think the movie really works. And I thought it was still pretty well told. How, how did you like Spiderhead? Yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It's not been super critically well received, but I I, I would say it, it's like super functional, you know, and I, it's like, yeah. Is it, is it like thematically super high level? No, I guess not. It, it's uh. I think the setup is stronger than the conclusion. We'll say that, but I just kind of really enjoyed being with this Chris Hemsworth performance. And yeah, even, even though it's definitely COVID production, this was made at the end of 2020 because Top Gun Maverick had already been completed at that point, of course, as people know, um, because it's like set in this this prison setting, you know, obviously a typical prison, but a prison setting, it kind of makes sense the way like things are staged and characters are, separated and we're not seeing too many crowding like it, it didn't bother me that like you can definitely tell that this was made on in a just a few rooms basically um and i think kaczynski like he just as people i feel like know at this point has has a uh competence that he'll always bring and i thought like the blocking of this movie like just visually looked very impressive for a movie that's completely indoors with very few subjects you know so i i still uh i still liked it quite a bit you know i think um again i think the hemsworth performance really is like the, the star of this because hemsworth someone who's been very hit or miss outside of thor in terms of you know making making commercial successes however i think we, we've definitely learned time and time again that when chris hemsworth being a li- little more comedic a little uh a little off it, it's honestly his biggest strength because he can really nail it I mean, doesn't this kind of feel like they're taking the mo like the the turn that Thor character has had in the last few movies, and just kind of like instead of it being Thor, they're like you're gonna act like Thor, but just you're gonna be like a smart guy. Like, and then they're like you can just be goofy and like fun and like 
Yeah, he's av- I think he's a little bit more cunning than Thor, obviously. You know, there's his tech bro. Yeah, he's tech bro with a, you know, a ulterior motive and um, you know, pushing boundaries in a lot of unethical ways. But he's just chewing on every single scene, man. Like he's just like having the best time. You can kind of tell that he really is enjoying being in this villain, this antagonist role. Um, and he he really loves, I think, the the like broness that he gets to do with Miles Teller in a few of these scenes. Like I found those scenes really fun to watch when they're on that like Love Actin or whatever the the drug was called, and they're Laffodil was it? Yeah, Laffodil. And that was the best like, name I think giggling. of the drugs. <laughs> yeah. They're just giggling to themselves about stupid shit. It's really, really great. Um, you know, I, it's funny because Hemsworth definitely shines. And you think, like, you know, you got Kaczynski and Miles Teller back for the... This is their third third time together in, in, a movie, in movies. But Teller's just kind of, like, just kind of, like, driving the plot along. You know, just kind of telling yeah. the story. And I really... Just the actually, dude. <laughs> yeah, and I just really, like... I, I almost wanted to just get more of the backstory. Like, when they would flash back to, yes. like, him partying in that field. It's like, I'm a lot more interested in what's going on here. Like, what is this bar that they're at? Mm. Or this field that they're, like, having this in? I want to know more. But... Right. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I thought Teller was fine. Like, he was just there. Kind of. Yeah, at the end of the day, he just doesn't have, like, a whole lot to really work with in terms of the what Spiderhead lets him do. Um, obviously, as Rooster, he had a whole lot more to uh, yeah. communicate, even if he didn't always have a lot of lines at Top Gun Maverick. He still imbued a lot into that character. But th- this time around, you know, I, like you said, I think it's really just kind of moving the plot, being the audience avatar, audience eyes into this very uh, atypical uh, prison situation where the prisoners have freedom of movement and you know, can get things they want and don't really feel like they're being detained. And uh, once we learn why that is, um, I think I think that's what probably my favorite part about like the movie setup overall is just like you get invited into this very unique situation and you start to learn about what's going on. You learn more about Steve Hemsworth's character. And I think I really think like when we first get exposed to the various drugs they're testing out, uh, a lot of those scenes are, are really harrowing too, because you really don't know what's going on. I think the biggest fault with the movie is like that once you kind of like have your handle on what's going on in Spiderhead, the second half or the last third, it just kind of goes where it was going to go and doesn't really elevate any further. But I still thought that 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 setup and that premise was just just strong enough and appealing enough that you know I, I don't mind that much. Yeah, I I, I didn't find myself really um being too bothered by that and uh even if the ending i i think was a a bit like kind of sloppy and just like not as satisfying as i wanted it to be just like you you have so much fun like um i I thought tellers and and journey smollett had some some nice scenes together together and she gets a couple scenes near the end especially to kind of like Mm -hmm. show off some of her chops you know obviously we've talked about her a bit in birds of prey and lovecraft country so she's uh, a, a star who's uh uh kind of on the upward trend but yeah you, you know the the poop uh poop hands is like a fun like uh running joke through this and like kind of trying to figure out who that is kind of just seeing the like the setup of this prison experiment and like the freedom that they have and like the roles that they're doing i thought was kind of fun and i, th- I think obviously it's like 
it's it asks interesting questions that um i think obviously are, are unsettling and unethical but like especially when they're doing like the love actin drug at the beginning and there's yeah. like the the like pseudo sex scenes that you see it's kind of like it definitely is a lot more fun to be with that and they start bringing in the the dark whatever it's called dark and, fill or something yeah yeah it's that that's when things kind of start to lose lose you a little bit but um yeah i i thought overall i just was thinking about netflix movies and this feels like probably one of the better ones to like just go back to and like just throw on and just be like this is a solid film yeah totally because like if you, if you kind of like remove the like movies that like netflix is kind of like shelled out for for more tours like your romas and your marriage stories and your irishmen's like those types which are which are all great in terms of like like the more like true like ne- hashtag Netflix movie like it's like this and like Triple Frontier like yeah. I, I think about in the same way it's like you know these are just like really competent and if Netflix made it easier for people to see this and distinguish this from anything else on their platform more people would probably be excited about it you know it it, it is fascinating to kind of analyze like where the Netflix movie phenomenon is these days because if you look at their top ten it's always movies that were previously theatrically released by major studios, oftentimes movies that were not well-received, but just kind of random movies that have seemingly additional cachet to the average Netflix viewer because they probably saw the commercial back in the day or the poster and then never saw it. And like, oh, I'll check it out now. Whereas Spiderhead, they have no fucking idea what this is. Right. Um, but I wish they did because I actually think it's pretty good. I know they almost need a category that's like B movies or something like that, where it's just like this isn't the the Irishmen's or the Romas, but this is like the next best thing that we have, you know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, definitely check out Spiderhead if you have Netflix. This is probably one of the better original things you're going to get from them. Um, Dave was able to make it to the movie theaters to talk about Lightyear because we all needed the Buzz Lightyear <laughs> origin story, and thank God Pixar gave it to us. Dave, tell me about Lightyear. Did you enjoy your movie-going experience with this? <sighs> yeah, man. Lightyear is a tough one. You know, uh, I, no. think it's, I think it's notable <laughs> to acknowledge that Lightyear is our first time back at the movie theater with Pixar since the pandemic began, of course. Of course, onward, box office legs cut off as the pandemic began, and then Soul, Luca, and Turning Red all released right. directly to Disney Plus since then. So Lightyear is our first time back in the theater. And, you know, it's a bit of a shame that, like, the first time back in the theater is their most, like, uninspired movie of the bunch. Mm. And, yeah, I like it less than all of those recent Pixar movies that have come out in the past two years, for sure. It's um, it, it's definitely a weird one, you know. And if you look at the box office and you see that this is actually coming in below projections, I just hope Disney, like, doesn't take the wrong lessons here and they send their next movie, Elemental, to theaters next year. I just hope that happens because, like... I think Lightyear had had just kind of a core issue with it, where like you kind of joked about in, in the start, like people don't really know like what this is, which is such an unforced error for a Pixar movie. It's like no, it's not a it's not a Toy Story spinoff, really. It's not a Buzz Lightyear thing. It's as they say, um, they say on the screen when you start watching the film, this is the movie Andy saw in 1995 that made him want to get a Buzz Lightyear toy. It's like, huh? It's like it, it's just kind of a weird sell, and. It's also a bit disappointing for Andy that, like, this was his, like, Star Wars, you know? Because, like, yeah. the movie Lightyear is, like, you know, it, it's just not 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 that great, you know? I, I just didn't really 
enjoy my time with it nearly as much as I would with even say like Luca, which is a Pixar film that has a lot of familiar Pixar themes. In the day, it's like super well well made and like and like fun to be with. Lightyear wasn't that fun to be with, honestly, and I think that's just just kind of unfortunate, you know. Um, a lot lots been made of uh, the voice change here. Uh, Tim Allen no longer Buzz. You have Chris Evans coming in, and you, you obviously understand why that perhaps happened. Chris Evans definitely easier person to have on the promo circuit, but honestly, I, I think the Tim Allen performance is is far superior, you know, as Buzz Lightyear, which. You know, I think that also kind of like a fundamental thing where like if you think about like Toy Story, Buzz, the Buzz character was always kind of like, like, a, like a, it was a joke. Buzz was a joke. And, and the Buzz, him, the way he thought about himself was so um, out of touch. Right. And Woody would always poke fun at this about how this guy's just a fucking idiot. Right. And like, you was, are a toy. <laughs> right. This time around, though. Uh, and we have Evans at the helm. This this Buzz Lightyear character is the true, the real Buzz Lightyear. He's just like an arrogant, um, selfish uh, hotshot. You know, it's like it just it's just not redeeming. But there's also like no extra subtext to it the way there was with the Buzz Lightyear character in Toy Story. So, you know, it just it just doesn't doesn't have like the multitudes that you'd expect from a Pixar film. Whatever they make a lot more movies now than they used to. They're not going to have as high batting average. It is what it is. But this was something that like I feel like had, had such a a uh, high uh, bar to to try and be successful because everyone was so skeptical of this movie when it was announced at like a shareholder meeting. It's like, like no one necessarily wanted this. It's like okay, fine, maybe it's not the Pixar movie for adults. Like many of them are kids, though, right? At the end of the day, these are kids' movies, animated movies. But like, as like a rip roaring like animated adventure, like, I, it's it's definitely not like the the best choice, you know, for kids when they're picking out what to watch on on. Uh, on Disney Plus, you know, it's uh, yeah, I think the supporting characters are 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 pretty weak, and like the a lot of the set pieces, really everything after the first act is just pretty monotonous, and I find that really disappointing. You know, I think it's funny. There's there's a few moments of brilliance with this, which is though, which I think actually makes it even more disappointing when you look at the whole thing, because in the very beginning of the film after what happens um, at our start where uh, Buzz basically causes this large spacefaring vessel to crash on a planet that's not their destination. Everyone has to come out of deep sleep and start working and find a way to fix their sh- their big ship so they can leave this planet and move on to uh, where they were going. That's kind of our setup. And uh, Buzz uh, takes it on himself to fix this because he was the one who uh, caused the incident in the first place. So he keeps testing their like fuel loads and like the, their hyperspace fuel, whatever it is, right? And every time he does these tests, it's only like ten minute test for him. But when he lands back on the planet where they where they're stuck, it's like four years have passed. Some interstellar shit starts happening. Next thing you know, we get an up level montage where Buzz keeps testing and testing and testing to the point where the, his best friend uh, lives a full life and then dies, and it's like wow that that is it's very it's very reminiscent of up where like he just kind of hits you in the fields but it's also a very effective way to i think put the movie in a place i didn't expect it to go right off the jump in the first like 20 minutes mm-hmm. and then it's just so disappointing that after that montage it just like doesn't doesn't come together the way i wanted it to i think that the saving grace of the movie 
which, which saves so many of the scenes because like i said i think the under the sporting characters are pretty undercooked buzz isn't that fun to be with the best thing about this is, is the sidekick it's the robotic dog socks who is, it is just kind of like the secret weapon sidekick character so funny i think socks is a cat from the picture you have at least oh it's a cat yeah it's a cat sorry <laughs> it's a little cat well um, and not, so that that was one but, of the things but yeah was, it's good yeah that was something i was thinking about was like you know andy obviously is going to love the main character of the movie but like i feel like the like the cat would have been like the the toy that would have really like hopped off back in the day you know you that you would have had to get the buzz Lightyear toy and the cat and he just never got got the cat like i i don't know that feels like like a hold now it feels like a star wars like prequel type pull where you now you have to write this back into the new toy stories why they never produced the cat uh figure yeah uh, yeah, Sox yeah sure. is a great name Sox is great voiced by peter sohn who is a pixar director pixar veteran uh late year directed by uh august mclean angus mclean who is another pixar veteran this is his first uh solo directorial work for them pixar of course just like domi shi with turning red continue to promote in-house which is really cool to see how they keep giving people chances that are involved to the varying degrees along the way but yeah i i, I it's just kind of an under underwhelming undercooked film which is it just feels off because this was something that needed to be fully cooked to be made because it was an intentional spin-off of toy story so yeah it's um it's just not nearly as, as fun as I wanted to, but the socks socks is the best part about it, uh, start to finish, and a lot of the socks stuff is really fun. So it sounds like you're a fan of the socks, Dave. I am. Yep. There you High go. socks. <laughs> High on socks, uh, low on light year. Um, I, I'm, this, I'm probably going to wait to have this drop on Disney Plus before I check it out. It doesn't feel like something I need to see in theaters. So um, drop your thoughts on, on this below on our uh, YouTube because i'm interested to see because like uh, pixar has just been on such a you know undeniable run and even if some of the movies recently have been a bit headier and not as fun to be with as some of those like 2010s or late 2000s pixar movies i definitely feel like this what everything i'm hearing about this feels just like a big misstep so i'm interested right. to see if other people are viewing it the same way i mean especially just, just coming off turning red though like turning red right. is like, so much better than this and has so much more going on and it's also so much more engaging to kids, I feel like, too. So it's just, it's just kind of a, a head-scratcher at the end of the day, light year. Interesting. Well, let's uh, switch gears from movies to music. And we're going to start with the new Perfume Genius album, Ugly Season, has <laughs> arrived. And uh, First of all, great name for an album. Great name. Um, Perfume Genius. We haven't talked about them in, in two years uh, when they really... Uh, I guess I should say when he, yeah. speaking about Michael Hed Hedrius, uh, really like, I think broke out in a way. I think No Shape um, in 2017 was like a step forward, but then Set My Heart on Fire immediately gained him a lot of attention and yeah. a lot of acclaim and really kind of shot his star upwards. If you go back and listen to our review, I was really high on the album. I still go back and listen to a couple of those songs. Um, Queen is one of uh, a song I go back to quite a bit from that one, but On the Floor uh, is also one that I really like from that. And so Ugly Season, I was looking forward to it, but I'm I'm still trying to like wrap my head around this because <laughs> on the one hand, I really feel like the music is like high level music and really well made and really well produced. But on the other hand, I don't know if I like 
really like loved <laughs> listening to it like the first couple goes around as i've listened to it more and more certain like things are popping out and growing on me but uh, what was your response to this dave yeah well, i just want to say too queen is actually off an earlier album not from set my fire set oh, my heart on okay. fire immediately but um yeah ugly season is mainly instrumental so that in inevitably is going to turn some people off you know when 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 we do hear michael hadrius's vocals they're often very low pitched or distorted or barely there at all. You know, it's, uh, it's definitely different from the past work. And it, it, I'm kind of like you where it's like, it's kind of hard to grapple with something that like, I'm not like super like digging when I'm necessarily listening to it just because it's so uh, like moody, but overall it's just, it's just often quite understated. And it's like, I have to really process these as like instrumental tracks, experimental instrumental tracks. It's just, it, it's just, it's just different than what I was thinking. And I started kind of just like gravitating towards like, okay, what does this song kind of remind me of? Because the, the lyrics, the, the vocals are so uh, uh, hard to find half the time, you know, a lot of these songs don't have any vocals. So I was just like, what is this like making me think of? Because yeah, it's like it's really good instrumentation. You're all kinds of instruments, you know. But it's a, it's a definitely a like a special like cocktail of music here. Yeah, a cocktail of music is like a good way to put it because it, even the the songs alone are very like unstructured and will switch up from one thing to the next. And you know, it starts off with uh, uh, just a room, which is uh, a pretty like toned down track for me goes into harem which is this longer uh kind of expansive track that i don't know kind of lost me until like the last like maybe two minutes when like the uh like i don't know if it's like a keyboard or i don't know if it's like a distorted like violin or something in the background kind of starts to pitch in then they have this like uh these synths that are very like I don't know, like plucky and like kind of bouncy kind of coming in for like the last minute or so. That was when I started to perk up and then teeth kind of starts off with that same sound, like almost like some like bells kind of like popping a little bit more. Um, but teeth, I didn't really feel grabbed by either pop song was a step in the right direction, but I really didn't feel like the album super grabbed me until maybe I in the wall through through hellbent that was probably like the three song run i was like okay there's something i'm grabbing onto here but i i felt pretty listless for a lot of this it sounds yeah. like you were similar yeah totally you know um i was just trying to pull away anything from the early stuff you know i think pop song the production especially to that point is like some of the bigger uh more livelier variety to that point and then you go into scarzo which is really this like piano medley yeah. more than anything yeah. else. And I was like, you know what this reminds me of? This is like some Charlie Chaplin's on film shit. That's mm-hmm. what I'm hearing right now. Um, you mentioned Hellbent. I think Hellbent's like the coolest song to revisit, mainly instrumental again, but that one's like kind of like a more like industrial sound. And I was like, you know what? Blade Runner, that's what I'm feeling right now. It's mm-hmm. like, I could definitely see like that in like a, 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 you know, like a montage or something, but it's like, I, th- I think it's just weird to like hear this from someone who is so well regarded for his lyrics about like, you know, important stuff, you know, like, like the, the gay experience, for example, you know, it's like to, to hear this album, which like, 
I read some of the reviews and people are like finding all this meaning. And it's like, I just don't know where you're getting all this from because like, I just, I just don't have that many takeaways from instrumentals, I guess. I don't know. Maybe that's just a, a personal fault. Yeah. You know, I, I think this is an album that if I, if I give it a few more listens, I'll probably have some more things to pull out of it. But like you said, it's just so, there's so much going on here that you really have to like interpret and kind of put together. Um, I think there's really just like moments. And I think that three track run I talked about at the end, I in the wall photograph and Hellbent, they each kind of have a, a moment somewhere in the middle where the song like breaks through from something that I wasn't really enjoying to something else. Like in I in the wall, it kind of goes from this, like, I don't know. like just like, it's just like very muted, just kind of like clickiness to then this like more textured layered, like drums kind of coming in like around you and then it breaks through to like this even more like relieving like uh moment where it's almost like everything kind of falls out and you're just kind of like riding this vibe which is really nice um hellbent like you mentioned i think is the coolest track and that goes through a lot of changes but like that has like drums and guitars and these like churning and like kind of like pulsing synths which are really cool and photograph i think also has a similar to eye on the wall like a very like relieving like middle moment to it so like i think like if you're gonna listen to this you really have to like go into it with the idea like i'm gonna try to find something in this and really like try to make something of it because i think if you're going in looking for uh hadrius to kind of tell you this is what it is you're gonna be just as lost as i think we feel right now so um it's good it's like well-made music but i just don't know if i fully got it um if if you did have an interpretation of it i would like people to leave those thoughts below because uh i'd like to hear how people are receiving (laughs) this but let's um let's move on to someone who's retired dave uh but still churning out albums like he's not logic uh you didn't believe he was retired right no so we talked about no pressure back in 2020 and it was i think an impressive work because it was some of the best songwriting we had heard from Logic in some time, while also matching that with the best type of production for Logic. At this point, we know that he sounds much better on dusty-ass boom bap than he does on 808 trap beats. That is very clear. And then, just last year, Bobby Tarantino 3 comes back. First post-retirement album as a cup. Not only is Logic uh, back from the brink already, but he's back on some modern day beats. And guess what? It's like so whatever music because he just doesn't stand out when he's on that kind of production. And it was like, huh, this is probably because he's still signed the Def Jam and has late albums he needs to make. Cool. Okay. You know what? He is far from the first rapper to fake retire. It's not actually that big a deal. Whatever. You know what? Then you hear uh, our new record here, Vinyl Days album. Uh, seven is it for logic i think yeah so. seventh album of course he has many mixtapes as well and he confirms yep this is his final def jam record so these are definitely obligations these last two records and then anything from here on out will be logic on a new deal or independent tbd there um so i i, I um didn't actually check out the singles coming into vinyl days there was a few that came out but uh Judging by the track list, which he let out, and the guests on the track list, I was like, you know what? This is probably more in line with the logic I like, which is, again, on dustier, more traditional, you know, 90s hip-hop stuff. 
and that's more or less what this is, which is great, you know, and yeah, it's 30, 30 tracks. It's way too long. Yeah. Um, 30 tracks, 70 minutes. Most of the songs aren't that long, but no. too many, too many tracks. Yeah, I wonder if Def Jam was like, Hey, can you give us as many songs as possible before you leave us? <laughs> you know, <laughs> probably not, but that, that's what, that's what I decided to think. But yeah, like it's obviously like, it's like way too long, like as a record, but that this would probably feel like better if this was like classified as mixtape logic you know here's just this run of old songs you know like this was young sinatra five or something that's not what it is but i think there's some like solid stuff here i think more than anything though logic lyrically there's nothing on this that i heard that impressed me the way some of no pressure did and i think the lyrically songwriting wise logic is just very inconsistent and that's ultimately what holds him back because he has ability he has an ear for production sometimes, but like he's just as a performer, uh, he's just a bit inconsistent to like, I think, kind of change his status where he is in hip hop. And obviously that doesn't really matter because he's a very successful guy. And I think one of the best parts about Vinyl Days is when he kind of talked about his like growing relationship with criticism and how he learned to not take as much offense to comments people or critics would make and it's like yeah i guess that shows some growth but i think overall again the inconsistency with the songwriting is what kind of has been holding me back lately but i still like this way more than i like anything on bobby tarantino 3 yeah 100 percent uh i thought this was actually a pretty like pleasurable listen and like you said him kind of going back to that 90s production was a great choice and making this 30 track album with these short songs that all kind of flow into each other. And um, I, I even think some of the um, like interludes or like skits are like right. kind of like fun. Uh, I, the Michael Rapport one, I had to skip through, but um, I liked how. That was actually it, one of my favorite ones. I, I just, I can't, I can't stand Michael Rapport. So I yeah, just, that's I, fair. I, I couldn't listen to him. It was on but, brand. Yeah. Very on brand. Uh, I heard him like, for like 10 seconds like i just have to move forward but i just yeah. i, I thought it was like it was, five or six of these skits so technically it's not a 30 track album if you really think about it <laughs> yeah and, and i thought it was just like it was like mid-level logic which is such a step up from where he has been that i was like oh is logic back like is logic kind of rounding yeah. back into form and so i i think my takeaway from this is like if he's kind of finding his groove again as he's coming off this this deal with Def Jam, great. Maybe this will allow him to just kind of like be him and continue to like explore the sound that works for him. Um, I, I I agree with you. I think his the, I think lyrically he's very up and down on this, and even yeah. like some of the messaging he's going for. You know, this is a rapper whose biggest song is about the suicide prevention lifeline, and on uh, therapy music he like is like I told people to go to therapy, but they didn't know I'm my own therapist. And I was like, well, what's the message you're sending? Like, I don't really know what you're trying <laughs> just to a, say. It's not good lines. That's all yeah. it is. You know, <laughs> it's, just, it's just like, I don't, it's just confusing and just not well done. So, um, you know, it's up and down, but I, I thought, I thought some of these songs were pretty fun, especially the like first, I don't know. I think like six or seven tracks I thought flowed together mm-hmm. really well and like move was a good like opener near the end i think i was just getting a little exhausted but tell yeah. me what's it out to you what tracks did you enjoy yeah i mean right off the bat you know you hear uh on a uh, danger you hear morgan freeman briefly it's, you know what i think we just have to put a moratorium on morgan freeman on hip-hop albums because metro boomin and 21 savage just did it really good in <laughs> savage mode too and you know what you're just kind of biting them if you use yeah. them right now that's how i felt about that lame but <laughs> Uh yeah, you know, I think it's um 
right off the bat, like with Tetris from here on there on that, it's like, yeah, it's like, this is more of a, you know, Sinatra old school logic vibe. And you have kind of, you have Funk Flex on here pretty routinely as like an MC dropping in and out. Kind of sounded like he was added in post. And I don't think it's as effective as, say, DJ Drama being on Call Me If You Get Lost from Tyler the Creator. Nevertheless, it's kind of fun to hear Flex just being like, you know, bars and doing his dropping <laughs> bombs. Um, yeah, like, and I, I think that's a th- the overall thing is like, I don't know if I like, I like loved any of these songs as much as I like some older like Boom Bap Logic stuff, to be honest. Um, but it was more just about an appreciation that's like, you know what, like, he's at least like, like you said, kind of rounding back into form. And he's a guy who's made like a dozen projects. He's made a ton of music. So I guess yeah. it does make sense. It's going to be up and down. If you know, if you're not like a classic MC, I guess, yeah, you're going to be a bit up and down. And for him, it's just so easy to like decide. It's like, oh, yes, modern beats, bad old school beats good you know it's like the paradigm of logic music is often very easy to understand <laughs> um but like you said like i i think some some, some of the songwriting is kind of a bit uh a, a bit off you mentioned the, the stuff on therapy music which feels like a weird postscript to 1-800 i also thought black white boy was kind of a similar yeah. thing where it's like you know what Lo- you know bobby biracial logic talking about that it's not new material but like i don't know like kind of flippantly talking about the fact that yes you get the pass as white and it's like tremendous privilege to you like i don't know you know it's just 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 doesn't seem that intelligent to me but like yeah. i wouldn't be as offended but like that's the problem is logic puts a lot of seriousness in his his wittiness so you have to actually take him at his word on it and like you know tell you know say when it's not up to snuff um yeah i, I think i think that's that's just kind of the thing where it's like you know, I think the other, the other issue with therapy music is it has fucking Russ on it and Russ yeah. and Logic being together, two of the most self-serious people in the game. It's like, ooh, that's a, that's perhaps the stuff of nightmares. I, Russ ultimately wasn't that bad, but like going in, I was like, oh no, that song could be terrible. Yeah, yeah I think that's a good uh, point on Black White Boy. I, the, the thing that disappointed me most about that was that was probably one of my like favorite beats off the album. Yeah. You know, it, it like just drives forward so, so well, like in so hard and it has like that like uh like clicking in the background that like uh, electronic clicking i just really love it and it's like ah that's that's what you waste this on but uh whatever what'd you think of ladonda like i i don't know that one i i was like some fantano this... lines on there yeah i was like is this just like a pure like kanye play like i was right well, I think it, I think another issue with Logic these days, which is it's not the number one issue, but like he has a bit of like Eminem syndrome these days, where he's like, "Let me cram as many syllables in as I can," yeah, as if that somehow makes the music good. You know, it's just like it's just like a wire has been crossed, and it's like Logic needs to spit as much as he possibly can. You know, and it's like, <laughs> nah, man, you didn't do this before, and the other stuff before was better than this. So, don't know what it is, man, but I think it's you. <laughs> And then the other side of things, it's like, you know what? Bobby Tarantino 3 coming back. You hear decades towards the beginning. Logic starts singing a little bit. You're not that guy, pal. This isn't you. You're not that uh, guy, pal. No. Trust me. Yeah, so like I, I think the rapping ass rapping stuff is what I like the most. You know, it's cool to see um, Big Lembo and C. Castro back again. Of course, they're collaborators of his that were on some of my favorite songs like uh young jesus and ballin you know like he's worked with those guys before i don't know if 
kick style is, you know, anything too special, but it's cool to see those guys there. I enjoyed hearing RZA on Porta 1, mm-hmm. but it, then it reminded me of Wu-Tang Forever on Young Sinatra 4, because the RZA verse on that song is, like, so fucking good. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It's so much better than this one, you know? So uh, I, I'm more than anything just kind of curious if he will actually give us that Ultra 85 album he's been hyping, seemingly under his new deal, because I'm just, I'm just kind of looking forward to seeing what that is next, because, you know, a song like Decades doesn't do it for me. I, I don't think that's, that's a lane to go down. You hear the song Breath Control with Wiz, you know, definitely a more modern song. Um, you know, Indica Badu, perhaps one of the better Bobby Tarantino 2 songs, also featuring Wiz. They're about to go on tour together. It makes sense that they're making another song. But, like, I think Logic being traditionalist is what sets him apart. You know, not that he's the only one who does that these days, but it just seems to be, like, the best feature of his music um, in terms of his musical identity. Right, Bobby Tarantino stuff has definitely proven that. So I don't know. Like we talked about this with no pressure, where like Logic finding just immense fame and fortune has kind of left him with nothing left to say. And um it's not as bad as it was on the Bobby Tarantino stuff, but like like well, you know, like when he's just doing like flex flex, you know, uh I got paper stuff, it's just it's not good. On the other hand, though. He like will make fun of that kind of music on vinyl days. And I was like, no, bro. Like, there's nothing wrong with that kind of rap. You just don't make it well. You yeah. know, <laughs> that's it's two different things. Well, Dave, I, I I don't really have much more to say about Logic. I'm I'm hoping whatever we get from him next continues to like move in the right direction for him. But yeah, uh, you know, it's just weird to like think about where he was and where he is now. Bit of a fall off. So, mm-hmm. while we move to somebody else who I think has had. A weird, weird year. <laughs> Drake, who dropped... Drizzy. Oh, man. Dropping out of the clouds. Uh, honestly, never mind. His first dance album. Uh, Correct. <laughs> so, w- you mentioned Joey, uh, you know, not being able to clear samples, pushing the album back a few weeks. Uh, it, I mean, that, that feels like a, a clearing out for Drake when Drake announced that he's doing this new album on Thursday night, um, which, you know, I, I get it. No one wants to go up against Drake, and the the proof is in the pudding. This is an album that is getting pretty widely panned and is the number one dance album on every platform that tracks that right now. That's Drake how Drake is, does, bro. Yeah, just he's <laughs> doesn't matter what it is. Course. It's going to be consumed because it's Drake. That's how that's how things are, you know? And, uh, yeah. I was going to say, I, like, I think some people were like, why did Drake go this route? And it's like, he's kind of been telling us that he's been, you know, towing the line with this route since More Life, really. I mean, More Life, we get like a whole like five or six track uh, run where it just is club vibe house music. Yeah. And it's Afro like, beats. yeah, he's he's going for this. So I'm not I wasn't totally shocked to see him put out an album like this. I guess I was just shocked that it was this quality because I, I kind of found myself just like feeling like I, I give him credit for going for it, but I just didn't think right. the songs were really there. What was your response or what was your take? Yeah, I think that, I think that's right. You know, Drake is not uh, new um, or uh, unaccustomed to dabbling in other genres, you know, whether it's something that makes a bit more sense, like is expressing his love of British hip hop by taking in uh, grime uh, influences. Of course, the more aver- uh, of overt stuff, overt stuff like the Afrobeat, you know, you sung a song like One Dance or, um, you know, more and more uh, 
uh, island dance hall stuff like on passion fruit on more life you know people yeah. people know the the examples at this point but to, to go so hard into electronic dance music but specifically like deep house more than anything else a very specific like beats per minute range it's like wow you know i give drake a lot of credit he's as you said like drake going this route is honestly like really impressive to me and i think is a good sign for like Drake moving forward because the one thing we didn't want is for Drake to just go completely stale and certified lover boy, despite being this massive hit an album that's like still in the top 10 every week off the streams for some, some reason people are really streaming the shit out of that. And I think a big part of that's playlisting obviously, but like people are streaming the shit out of CLB and CLB just was like, you know, with a few exceptions, which is not the album I wanted it to be. And, you know, in terms of I know how good a rapper Drake, Drake can be, and that just wasn't hitting there. The fact that, honestly, Nevermind is not Drake doing more bland trap beats is really cool. Uh, the issue for me, though, is, like, I think the Drake performance on many of these Honestly Nevermind songs is just not what I, I want from Drake. It's not what I like to listen to Drake. I think a oh, lot of these beats... Drake. Right. I think a lot of these beats are awesome. These are great really well-made songs and it's not just deep house there's a bit of variety on this which is really cool the problem though like i said is the drake performance you know i i don't love passion fruit that much but people really love that song but regardless like when drake does his non-rapping performance and he's done this for 10 years you know this is what he does for me i just think some of the singing is a bit undercooked on this and you know like i'm not a marvin's room guy on take care and a lot of these was giving me Marvin's Room vibes in the wrong way, you know, uh, especially like when he goes to like the higher pitch on like, uh, what was it on? on falling back right off the jump. I was like, oh, man, when you hit that higher pitch, I was like, oh, no, this, this is not that good. Like, I, I just don't like this performance from you. And I think that just might just be a limitation of Drake. You know, like I honestly thought the singing on Scorpion's, you know, sing, sing, the singing side of Scorpion, the R&B side of Scorpion is a lot better than some of the singing on this. You know, and like I, I just the the performance, the, the the songwriting is just a a bit undercooked for me, which I perhaps is a continuation of the problems with Certified Lover Boy. But it's a bit of a shame because I actually think a lot of these these beats and the the concept of these songs is actually kind of cool. But the Drake performance is is very up and down for me. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I I don't really know if there's like a song where I'm like man, Drake really just, like, crushed that. I do think, like, the songs that stand out to me are the songs where I really like the the beats and, and the production on it more. Something like Massive stands out to me as yeah. one of my favorite tracks because... Patronata-esque, perhaps? Yeah, exactly. I, I think that's a really good way to put it. And, the, like, those pianos, uh, is it's just... that The keyboard in that is just so uh, inviting and it really drives it. Another problem with these tracks... Uh, is that pretty much every track I like goes on for like two minutes too long. You know, like, <laughs> this, this is a 52 minute album that very much probably could have been 35 minutes and you wouldn't have lost much on this. Um, house music is trancy and it, it kind of thrives off of just like these loops and people just kind of vibing to these loops. I, I don't know if Drake 
made songs that were worthy of being five minutes long. You know, these could have been three minutes and 30 seconds. I mm. mean, we kind of get the point. Something like Texco Green yeah. has a lot of potential. And I think and it's Sid really Blyde good. is fucking awesome. It's so good. And then it gets to be like four minutes in. I'm like, all right. And now I'm just listening to this loop. And I'm like, you could have cut this off at 3.30 when you were yeah. finished singing. And I would have liked the song way more. So it's, right. it's you know, I, I again, I appreciate what he's going for. I think the production on this is great. Um, shout out to Black Coffee. Shout out yes. to Carnage. I, I really love a lot of the Carnage, tracks that yeah. they did. But, man, uh, it, it really left left you wanting more. And then you get the final track, and you're just like, what the fuck, man? Like, why couldn't you have done more of this? Why couldn't we have gotten more Jimmy Cooks on this, bro? I don't know. It's a little uh, frustrating. Everyone's man. been saying that Jimmy Cooks is, like, bound to on Yeezus, where like Kanye Drake is like, just in case you forgot, I still got it. But there was and something yet, that you forgot? Jimmy Cooks, you know, take keep on the beat, 21 Savage, amazing guest spot once again. The, uh, um, They're one so of my, good perhaps my, I think it's my favorite line on the whole album, it's from 21 Savage. Asking all these questions, bitch, you must think in the deska, the chopper, like to feel on all the ops, it's a molester. Oh my god. This guy is still so, so good. But uh, Drake sounds awesome on that. And Drake also sounds grand sticky, which I think is probably the coolest song in like the sequence. Because it were being real, Jimmy Cook's Take Heat beat. It's a a fucking trap beat. Like it doesn't make any sense. Honestly, never mind. Sticky does. Sticky is still like Drake rapping, but it just kind of fits fits the the production vibe. And that, that was interesting to me. By the way, check the Spotify, you know, top 50 right now in the U.S. The most popular songs are Jimmy Cooks and Sticky. People are listening to the rapping more than the other stuff. Shocking, I know. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting. So uh, there's been a lot written uh, over the weekend since this dropped about like the production styles and the specific type of house that's influenced this. You know, a lot of Baltimore, a lot of Philly. influence from like the 2000s on this which is like great and like i yes I, I definitely not modern it, electronic music which is again very cool yeah which i i, I think it just kind of emphasizes your point like drake went into this with a vision and drake is not just kind of making the i'm too sexies he's he's going for something that's actually inspiring him i just wish it was a little bit more i wish he was able to like mesh together what he does so well on songs like jimmy cooks with that, yeah. that vibe like you know if if something like um a keeper uh which I, I thought was another track where i was like you know it's like toned down but like this feels like a drake thing but he just goes so into the singing and doesn't give a performance well enough then you get that like interesting ending where it's like the drums are really just building up and it's like man if that like led to like if it was drake like rapping and then that like built up and then this like groovy ending might have been a much more interesting song but we're like you said, we're dealing dealing with Marvin's room, Drake, for most of this. And it, it, while Marvin's room, I think I like the song a little bit more than you. Uh, it's definitely not what Drake thrives on at this point in his career. So, right, yeah. What's your like favorite Drake Drake song from like uh, the last few projects? Like, what do you find yourself going uh, back to most? And one last thing, my uh, ooh, so we did Drake album rankings last year. Check that out, YouTube.com plus Nostalgia Pod. My favorite Drake record is if you're reading this. That is what I want the most from Drake. But that is 2015. It's been a little while. So 
in terms of the recent Drake albums, I mean, we have CLB, we have Dark Lane demo tapes, mm-hmm. we have Honestly Scorpion. Nevermind, and then we have Scorpion back in 2018, you know? So, mm-hmm. honestly, I feel like I, I go feel... back to nonstop most. Yeah, I, I think Scorpion, despite its bloated nature, still has some of the highest highs Drake ever had. And of course, that was his commercial peak. You know, you mentioned nonstop, take heats there on that. God's Plan, the early mm-hmm. single, just monstrous. Nice for what? Perhaps his best song of this whole era, mm-hmm. in my feelings. Like that, that era, Drake is, you know, I'm still going to gravitate towards that off. Like, like, it's so weird. Like the songs that became hits on CLB, like, um, Fair Trade with Travis and Knife Talk with 21, I like just fine. And, you know, Girls Want Girls with Baby and a God, mm-hmm. don't get me started. And I'm too sexy or way too sexy. Like, th- those are just not like the level of hit no. that this, the, hit, the hits were on Scorpion, you know? And even like Wants and Needs with Little Baby off Scary Hours 2 became a monster track for him, too. Um, but Lemon Pepper's Freestyle with Ross is probably a better track, you know, because that's mm-hmm. just actually Drake really in his pen. You know, I think. My favorite song of COB was uh, 5 a.m. on Bridal Bath, which I had in my top 10 mm-hmm. last year, because that's just really Drake doing what he's done for over a decade now, which is like actually really showing off just how strong that pen actually is. And honestly, never mind, these songs are not made uh, in a way that is ever going to allow Drake to show off that pen. So, I mean, I don't know what he gravitates towards. You said nonstop. Yeah, I think it, like you said nonstop, Lemon, uh, lemon Pepper freestyle. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think I'm upset. Like, those are the tracks I find myself wanting to listen to most. Uh, nonstop, probably by far my most played, like, more recent Drake track. And I, I think that has just such, like, like needle drop potential, as, like, pointed out in Euphoria, which I think it's one of, like, the best needle drops right. of the first season when that com- comes on. But it's, like, I just want that Drake, you know? And, like, I... I oh, we I forgot. Think... We forgot a good example. Uh, his feature on Mr. Right Now with 21 and Metro Boom. Yes. That's 100%. the best recent Drake song by far. <laughs> yes, 100%. Great call. And so, like, I just wish we were getting... I, I, again, appreciate him taking this this swing, and I hope he continues to explore genres in, in this way and really, like, lean into it, not, like, half-ass it. But mm-hmm. I just... I hope he can find a way to take some of what makes him so sticky and so fun and... Right such a star and really like mesh it with these genres and maybe this is just the first first shot and he's going to get better at it i hope so yeah totally you know I, and then there's still some cool ideas to take away from last never mind like on liability there's like very intentional vocal effects on drake's voice there and then on uh, overdrive which has a really nice beat but also like very intentional like vocal layering of drake's vocals on top of each other it's like these are things that you don't really hear on drake songs at this point you know um vocal effects you know, he, Drake has never been like ASAP Rocky back in the day with like the completely distorted voice. That's not his thing, you know, but maybe it could be his thing. You know, Drake is so talented that we, we, we perhaps could see that. And I think, like you said, there was still a vision here that I really respect. And it's great that Drake still has like discernible vision this far into the game, this long being at the top and having really nothing left to play for at this point. So that is, um, I think, probably the best takeaway from this more than anything else. You know, I'd I don't know what the hit, hit the hit is apart from Jimmy Cooks because again Jimmy Cooks doesn't feel like a song from this album. Truth be told, so um, on the other hand, Drake is this is assumingly the first release on Drake's re-upped like full scale new deal he did with the Universal Music Group towards the end of last year. People think he got like four hundred million dollars for this deal, this massive deal, 
Um, the weekend got a similar one. It seems that they have like the two biggest deals, major label deals, those two and Taylor on Universal. So Drake's not going away anytime soon. He even said that a Scary Hours 3 is been made and will come out in the relative future after he lets this cook for a little bit. So uh, Drake's not going away, but I think more than anything, the surprise drop of honestly, never mind, took me back a little bit because I had just been thinking about this like a few weeks ago. I was like, you know what? Is Drake going to take off this year? Because CLB has just been so Massive. present on the charts, in my opinion, for really no reason, because I don't like these songs that much, but like it just has never, it's been sticking around, right? So he didn't have a need, a need to get himself back out in the front, but he, but he did. You know, he, yeah. he, he does work a lot, which is to his credit. So uh, I think this opens up new possibilities and that is intriguing because, you know, Drake is halfway through his 30s at this point. If we can find anything that's like a new spice for Drake yeah. to stay on top, that's really, really appealing. Definitely. So, yeah, uh, definitely. I think it's worth listening to. Uh, people have really been criticizing it. And while it's definitely not top tier Drake, I, I don't think it's like. I don't think it's a terrible album. So uh, give it give it a listen. Let, let us know what you think. But David, we're going to wrap up there. What should the people be consuming for next week? Yeah, so next week we got the end of Obi-Wan already. Uh, Elvis, Baz Luhrmann's movie starring Lawson Butler is coming out. Very much looking forward to that. New record from Soccer Mommy. Very exciting. Also, the return of two shows that I'm not super enthusiastic about. The Umbrella Academy on Netflix yeah. and Westworld on HBO. Oh. Oh no! Ooh. <laughs> well, uh, we'll be we'll be talking about that as uh, as it comes. So hit that subscribe button on YouTube.com/slash/NostalgiaPod, and any place you want to go to our Twitter at NostalgiaPod and follow the link tree. Uh, follow our best of 2022 playlist, um, Nostalgia Best of 2022 on Spotify. We'll catch you next week. Hey.